I was in a meeting the other day for three hours on something that I had absolutely no interest in. And I was just sitting there staring at the screen thinking, I'm wasting my life in this meeting. Like, I do not want to be here. This is something that I'm only here to get money at that point. Welcome to Pocket Money, the newest podcast from Finder. If you're not familiar with Finder, we are Australia's largest comparison website. Yeah, so we help Aussies compare everything from credit cards, savings accounts and home loans to travel, shopping and tech deals. You can also use Finder to check out reviews, make better decisions with our how-to guides and catch up on the latest news. This isn't just going to be about your everyday credit card or home loan. This is going to be about the bigger picture the ways that finance kind of touches our lives that maybe we don't think about every day, but they do. We were talking earlier about how much costs to die. <laughs> I mean, that's Can't really... wait to find out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Expensive. Don't do it. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> and uh, once you do it, you can't go back. No refunds. <laughs> we're also talking about some other pretty interesting ideas. Frequent flyer point hacking, for example. Uh, it's always interesting to know how a program, a frequent flyer program can offer you something uh, for nothing. What's the catch? Exactly. What's the catch? Sounds like a good segment name. <laughs> and also, uh, we're going to be talking about relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cost of breaking up, which I think is the first thing when you're trying to get out of a relationship. <laughs> How much is this going to cost me? But it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's a very um, important thing that you obviously don't think about when you're in a relationship. Mm. Uh, you obviously think about the good times. <laughs> so we're bringing you down, back down to, <laughs> to earth. Today, we're tackling a very interesting issue, which is the FIRE movement. Yeah, so financial independence retire early. It's all over Reddit, thousands and thousands of blogs uh, all over the internet. Mainly millennials, money-savvy millennials who want to retire by the time they're, you know, 30 or 40. From like the early research that I've done, it's all about being quite frugal, really having a long-term view and then saving like crazy to then be able to retire early with financial independence. It's already got its, like you said, its own subreddits. It's also got its own celebrities. Mm-hmm. Mr. Money Mustache, yes. my personal favorite. Even authors like Vicky Robin, uh, who wrote Your Money, Your Life, which is kind of a seminal text in this whole space. Uh, it lays the foundation for a lot of these fire ideas. But what is your kind of initial thoughts about this whole movement, Sally? So it is obviously a big shift. It's a big idea. So what do you think so far? Well, I'm definitely intrigued and curious. Uh, It sounds like the complete opposite of how I've been living my life so far, uh, which is probably a good thing. So you're water, you're not fire. (laughs) You're the the water lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Obviously, like you said, super interesting. But yeah, more than a financial movement, it is kind of like a massive psychological shift. Like you have to change your entire life. You know, like Mr. Money Mustache, this is his life what do I have to do to get there? Because like I said, I feel like I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum right now. I think I'd need to, you know, maybe be hypnotized or like put under some really strict training. like Locked in a room yeah. and like you can only spend $10 a day. Yeah, fire boot camp. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea for a product. Mm. I'm sort of in the middle ground. I think it's a, a really interesting idea and it has obviously some merit because there's so many people that are interested in this and there's subreddits that have grown even in the last few years that I've been sort of every now and then keeping tabs on what's happening. I can definitely see the appeal on the one hand, but on the other hand, I'm also thinking some of it can be drastic and there's even, I think it's lean fire. Yeah, fire extremists. (laughs) Fire extremist (laughs) version. I haven't even delved into what they look at, but it seems like 
there is pros and cons. So I'm very interested to talk to our guest, who I suppose we can introduce, mm-hmm. uh, Aussie Firebug, about how you can kind of get into this this whole movement and what sacrifices do have to be made and is this a response to just being dissatisfied with the current way that nine to five jobs is set up? Yeah, disillusioned millennials just yeah. trying to find any way to make it out. I don't believe in nothing no more. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to introduce uh, Aussie Firebug and let our audience know who he is? Basically, it's a really popular blog that's been running for a few years now and also he runs a podcast uh, and he kind of, I guess, delves into the practical side of doing this strategy in Australia, which I think is really interesting because a lot of the successful case studies that I've read so far have been from a US perspective. Basically, he's blogging everything from what his expenses are, returns on his investments. Like he's pretty much an open book with his finances. Uh, Also sprinkled with a few Simpsons memes. A lovely touch. Which I was happy to see. As well as, you know, sharing his own advice. He often does interviews with well-known fire personalities and does research on some of the companies, you know, that makes it possible like Vanguard, BetaShares and stuff like that. So, yeah, pretty interesting. I'm very interested to get into this conversation. So, shall we jump in and chat to the Aussie Firebug? Welcome, Matt, a.k.a. the Aussie Firebug. How are you going, man? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. We've been um, doing our research and it's been an interesting ride so far. Could you just give us a rundown of the Aussie Firebug and why you you jumped into it? For those who don't know, I run a, a blog that basically tracks where I'm at and my journey towards financial independence so that one day I can retire early. It comes down to uh, mathematics, essentially. I'm planning to uh, have a big enough portfolio to generate enough passive income so I don't have to continue to work for money. And that's when I enter into the retire early phase. And essentially, I'm doing this because I want more freedom in my life. I don't want to spend the majority of my life doing something I don't particularly want to be doing. And that's not to say that work's bad or anything. I'm actually one of the lucky ones that quite enjoy my job. But if I'm being 100% real, I wouldn't be doing my job for free. And I seriously doubt many people in the world would if money wasn't a factor. So I'm talking about doing something 100% because I want to, not because I have to, and basically blog about how I'm saving money, how I'm investing, and how we're going to eventually retire in the end. It's really interesting because you do put yourself quite out there on your blog. You do publish your net worth. And maybe you could tell us a bit about how you actually made that decision that you wanted to share this on your blog and, and now in the podcast. The FIRE movement, which of course stands for Financial Independence Retire Early, I'm not 100% sure where exactly it started, but I found out about it by following a very famous US blogger called Mr. Money Moustache. And he was blogging, I think, from around about 2011 onwards. And I believe I discovered him around 2012, 2013. And it was really good. I absolutely absorbed everything he was putting out. And then there was other FIRE blogs out there, but mainly US-based. And I was, yeah, reading everything I could get my hands on for these people that just uh, incredible journey that they were going on. It really uh, struck a chord with me what they were trying to do. And I got to a stage where I really was looking for an Australian doing the same thing because there are people out there that do it, but not everyone puts themselves out there and writes about what they do and how they go about achieving throughout their journey. Well, I couldn't find anyone that was actually specifically blogging about fire. 
So I decided to start my own blog back in 2015. It was a bit, you know, scary putting myself out there. As you said, I update my net worth every month and I, I do an update and just to see how I'm going. And I believe that's one of my most popular parts about my blog per se, because people, I guess, can follow along my journey every month and I can see where I'm tracking. And um, it's actually one of the best things I ever did because I write about everything that I'm doing and my audience is really, really smart. And a lot of people that read my blog are way smarter than me. So they're always critiquing my strategy and giving me tips and tricks and stuff like that. So starting the blog was one of the best things I ever did and it keeps me accountable. So I knew that if I was going to write about financial independence to retire early one day, I'd be forced to research parts of the movement that I wasn't particularly interested in to be fully transparent. I needed to uh, put all that information out there and it seems to have struck a chord with the community because um, they keep coming back. You're doing <laughs> <cool>. something right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I suppose transparency is key for this kind of thing, right? Because I know that a lot of people who I've spoken with about the fire movement are like, oh, well, surely that's too good to be true or, you know, like easier said than done. So putting all of those numbers out there and yeah, writing so thoroughly about it, it's kind of like, well, this is proof. I guess money is a bit of a taboo subject with friends and even some family. You know, you don't traditionally talk about your own finances and your own personal situation just at your lunch break. But starting a blog and putting that out there as an anonymous blogger was a little bit daunting for me. But I guess it is something that I always wanted another Australian to write about. So when I didn't have that person and I started doing it, that uh, related to a lot of people. And it's good now because there's plenty of other fire bloggers out there and I really love reading their blogs as well to see how they do it and a lot of the blogging community around fire is really really good and a lot of strategies get shared and we're always optimizing so it's just really brilliant and we're really building up a strong presence in Australia. First might be good to just go over again you touched on it before the core sort of principles of the whole movement and how it works. The fire movement is fundamentally a mass equation at the end of the day. If you can roughly invest 25 times what you spend annually, you'll be able to generate enough passive income to fund your lifestyle. Anyone can achieve FIRE by following two simple steps, and that's spend less than you earn, and the second step is invest the surplus. It is really that easy, and there's a whole raft of things that you can do in between those two steps to make it easier, and, and there's a lot of different factors that go into it, but the traditional FIRE chasers that I know and that are looking to um, reach financial independence to retire early are very frugal and have a vast array of savings tips, tax minimization strategies, and optimal ways to invest. But not everyone is like that. There are some people that are trying to achieve what's called a fat fire, which is a lifestyle which is a bit more luxurious. So once you reach a point where you have a, a big enough portfolio that's generating enough passive income, to fund your lifestyle, there's levels to it. So there's lean fire that will cover just your expenses. So theoretically, you could live on the same life if nothing else changed on that passive income. And then a lot of people, when they get to that point, they might work a few more years to get to a stage called fat fire, which has a bit more of a buffer room. Maybe you can introduce more luxuries into your life later down the track. But if you speak to anyone who has reached fire, they'll most likely tell you that the most important thing is saving versus trying to make more money. The saving component is really the core factor and the most important part when it comes to reaching fire. 
And it's also one of the most difficult. And I think we've spoken to our Noel Whitaker a long time ago, and he sort of said it's not about how much you earn, it's about how much you save. So, yeah, obviously that's a big kind of mental hurdle for a lot of people to get over, which is not spending. You know, a dollar saved is a dollar earned, but a dollar earned is not necessarily a dollar saved because of taxes. So depending on your tax bracket, you know, you might earn an extra dollar, but only get to take home 69 cents or whatever it is, wherever you are. So it's so much more efficient to save money than it is to earn. And the other side of that coin is the more that you can save theoretically means the less of a portfolio you need to fund your lifestyle. So if you think about it, if you're spending every year $100,000, for example, if you bring that down to $70,000, like you cut out a whole bunch of expenses and you save $30,000, not only do you have an extra $30,000 to add to your portfolio every year and have that investment start generating more passive income, but you've also lessened the amount of passive income you need per year to live off at the end. So you're earning more money and you're shrinking the portfolio or the size of the portfolio that you need to reach fire. So it's, it works two ways. So it's very, very powerful and it's by far the most important part. On your site, you have a calculator that sort of figures that this out that people can use, right? Mm, something unique to Australia is our super system. Like there is similar systems in the other parts of the world, but the main difference and majority of the buyer blogs, uh, US-based blogs, and a major difference in their retirement funds compared to our super is they can access their IRAs and their Roth accounts before they hit a preservation age. So which means that they can put money into their retirement accounts at a tax efficient rate, like we can with super through salary sacrificing, but then they can withdraw it out before they hit 65 or whatever age it is over there. Whereas super for us, we have to hit that preservation age. That is a unique thing to Australia. So I thought about that because if you invest outside of super, you're missing out on the most tax efficient vehicle in Australia, which is super. Super is the best way to invest. If you want to grow your wealth to the maximum it can grow and have the most tax efficient method in Australia, you're not going to beat super. Super is the best. The only issue with that is when you can access it. And that's very specific for people that are looking to retire early. I put this question to my readers all the time. Would you rather a million dollars right now at 29, that's how old I am, or would you rather $15 million at 65? If that was me, I'm taking the million dollars at 29 every day of the week because I can actually retire or pretty close to retire on a million dollars right now, whereas $10 million in my super account at 65 is so many years down the track. Like It's not going to help me retire early. So back to your original um, question, I created this calculator because there is actually a optimal amount that you want to be investing into super and outside super, you actually reach a, a point where you build up a fund outside of super and that will take you to your preservation age. And then once you hit that preservation age, you'll have enough in super to live for the rest of your life. And that's what the calculator does. It works out how much you need to invest outside and how much you need to invest inside and it you know graphs it out nicely and you can see a nice little chart to you know how it all works so it took me a few hours to make that <laughs> uh, and we'll definitely put uh links to this in our show notes as well you touched on what's unique about fire in australia are there any other things that make fire a bit different in australia to everywhere else yes uh we have something in australia called the dividend imputation system 
so known as franking. It's something that not a lot of countries have. I think maybe New Zealand has it and another country, I'm not sure, but it was something introduced by the Hawke and Keating Labor government to eliminate the double taxation of company profits. But without getting too technical, in a nutshell, it gives Aussie investors an incentive for investing in Aussie companies, which are the only ones who can issue these credits. One of the most perfect ways or one of the best ways to generate a passive income for Aussie fire investors. There's something that's actually happening next year. The Labor government are proposing removing something to do with franking credits. And I won't get into that now, but it might make it less efficient if it goes through, but we'll wait and see. That's something very unique to Australia and US bloggers or anywhere else in the world, they won't have the franking system in their country. If you look at the ASX and a lot of companies on the Australian Stock Exchange, we have a very high yield, a very high dividend yield compared to the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange and a lot of other countries as well. And a lot of this has to do with the efficiencies that companies can distribute dividends through these franking credits. And it really is a really, really great way to generate that passive income for Aussie investors. And if you look at a lot of strategies in the Australian fire community, a lot of them lean towards a dividend investing approach rather than a capital gains approach where you'll traditionally find the US bloggers write about. So a lot of their end goal is to have a portfolio of a certain size. They actually sell units of that portfolio to generate that passive income. Whereas a lot of Aussie bloggers write about purely living off the dividends and the franking credits. So that's something else that should be considered for anyone living in Australia. There's a lot of differences, but the only other one I'll chat about today is Australia has an insanely high cost of living especially in our two big cities, Melbourne and Sydney. And I wrote about this a little bit, but it's so much cheaper to rent and invest the surplus versus buying in those capital cities. It's, it's not even close. So many people that I know personally and that are in those uh, Sydney and Melbourne are extremely rich in equity, but they're very cash flow poor, mainly for those two cities. So you can never retire in these circumstances unless you're a you know, multi-millionaire. So we're literally talking about someone that might have a $500,000 mortgage, but their house is worth $1.7 million, but they still can't retire. They got all this money in their net worth and they're worth heaps, but they might be living paycheck to paycheck still because of the interest repayments on their enormous loan and just the insane high cost of living for those two cities. And that's not necessarily unique to Australia, but the high cost of living is a hurdle that uh, some countries don't have as much when you're living in yeah two of the most expensive cities in the world. Yeah, so probably not super realistic to think that you would achieve fire if you're living in yeah the inner west of of Sydney. There, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it's unrealistic. I would say, how bad do you want it, and how much do you value home ownership? If you actually want to own a home in Sydney or Melbourne and do fire, unless you're on really, really high wages, you're probably not going to get there early, like as in early retirement, but just because it's it's so expensive. The housing is a killer for anyone that's trying to retire early. And the reason it is, is because that money is not working for you while it's tied up in your house. So if you think about that example of someone that has all this equity, they might be a millionaire on paper with equity, but if all that money, all that capital is tied up in the house, it's not generating a single dollar of income. Like sure, you can rent out a room, you can Airbnb it, like that might be 
one way you do it. But if you had a million dollars worth of equity and you put that in the share market, you could realistically get forty, forty-five, fifty thousand dollars a year passive income every year rolling in. And that's enough to live off for some people that, you know, might sell up and move to the country. Yeah, like you said, it's about how bad you want it. Yeah. And, you know, would you consider sacrificing or living a bit further out or something like that? Even renting. Like I rent. I just sold an investment property recently. I built a home and I moved into it for the first home buyer's grant back in 2012, 2013. And then I moved out and I rented that out. And then I had two more investment properties after that. And I always rented them out. And I personally rented during that time because my capacity to get loans was a lot better if I didn't have a primary place of residency, but I was just paying a small amount of rent. It's easier to get loans. I sort of did it without knowing I was doing it, but I was just about to get another job and I was moving around a little bit. So the flexibility of renting was really, really good for me a few years ago. And it still is now, but if you actually crunch the numbers and I wrote a whole article about this, it's actually, especially in the capital cities, way, way more financially advantageous to rent than it is to buy. But the key with that is that you need to be disciplined and save the surplus that you have. So some people are not disciplined enough, they'll rent and then they'll spend all their money and they'll never get ahead. Whereas if you buy a house, you sort of, it's forced savings. It's that mechanism of paying off that mortgage that will force you to build equity and to save. But if you actually stick with the plan and pay that rent and invest the surplus or save the surplus, you can get way more ahead, especially in those capital cities, than you can if you bought. So it's very interesting to look at. And it's against, I guess, the, the Australian dream to buy, which is ingrained in a lot of people, but it's very much cheaper to, to rent in those capital cities. We'll eventually end up buying a house probably. That's when kids will come along. That's like when I see the stability of home ownership worth the money to start pouring that money into an asset that's not producing an income that's like the, the trade-off i see but until then i don't see a need to to buy a house that's me personally everyone's different you touched on a key word which i want to come back to which is um you need to have the discipline when you rent to save that surplus and you obviously interview quite a few people in this space and you you generally are pretty active in the community so you're chatting with people who are in this fire movement all the time is discipline a big quality that they share and if not are there other qualities that you notice that a lot of the people in this movement share? Absolutely. Discipline is is right up there. But other qualities that I see all the time, for people that I've met who have personally reached, um, a lot of them have reached financial independence. I'm not sure if many retired early. I was really into property investing back in the day. And then I sort of shifted my mindset or opened up my mind to new possibilities in the share market. And I found that it's a really good tool to generate passive income through shares there's nothing wrong with either asset class and i guess at the end of the day it doesn't necessarily matter what you're investing in it's just that you are disciplined in your saving and you're investing in assets that generate you money that's the key but i was going to these property investing um, seminars and i was meeting all these people that had already reached financial independence and something i picked up were a lot of them enjoy simple pleasures they might be millionaires but you'd never know it like they just dress normal, they drive a normal car. At some point, most people in life wake up to the consumer marketing uh, bonanza that seems to be taking over the world. Like you don't have to look further than, you know, what weddings have morphed into over the last couple of decades. I was talking to my parents the other day and, you know, it used to be a simple celebration of two people getting married 
you know, and cost a reasonable amount of money back in that day, you know, minus inflation. But now it's like, it's this enormous event that costs more than a house deposit in some instances. Like it's insane. And it's great for the economy and all these businesses are popping up, but it's just ridiculous how people can justify spending money on stuff they don't need. You know, new iPhones, flat screen TVs, gaming systems, going out for breakfast twice a week, all this stuff. If I'm not mistaken, people were living pretty fulfilling lives back in the 60s, 70s and 80s with none of these fancy expensive toys. Yeah, those are really good points. This is very ingrained in like this consumer culture that we're living in. And I think that from what I've read that the five movement is like so much more than just like a financial strategy. Like it's very much a psychological shift that you have to go through. So you know, it's very easy to be like, yeah, well, you just be disciplined with your finances, you know, like it's just as simple as that. But yeah, I think we know that it goes a little bit deeper. So what are some tips that you would have for people who are looking at this? And I think that one of the biggest hurdles would be, well, like, how do I change my whole life and my mindset to, yeah, be more disciplined to make fire work? You're definitely right there. It is a mindset change. And I don't know if I have a great answer for that because it just clicked for me. I'd always been a relatively good saver and just frugal in general growing up I'm not too sure like my dad was pretty frugal as well I guess he passed those traits on to me but back when I was a teenager and working at Coles and stuff I'd save a thousand dollars fifteen hundred and I always didn't have a goal to what I was saving towards I just used to save money because I like to see the bank balance go up every you know week but I never had a real this is what I want to achieve with this it was just a lot of people had told me that was smart to save a decent amount of your paycheck But as soon as I read about financial independence, my first book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad is where I read the the term. The light bulb went off in my head and a lot of my thoughts shifted towards the reality is a lot of people wouldn't go to their job if money wasn't a factor. Let's, Let's be real. You're basically giving up your life energy in order to get money. You're exchanging your life energy for money and you use that money to buy whatever. But if you look at it a certain way every time you buy that new iphone or you buy a new car or you buy that really really expensive house you actually work out how much you get paid an hour and how much that product that you just bought or whatever it is you did and you work it out on a spreadsheet and and say hey this thing just cost me three weeks worth of work do i really enjoy this thing that i'm using or that i just bought through three weeks doing something that I don't want to do. And when I started to shift my mind to that, well, I went a little bit too extreme at the very start, but I wanted to save every single dollar because I wanted to escape that rat race as soon as possible and get back my time, get back my freedom to do things that only I wanted to do. Like there's parts of my job that I do enjoy, but like I was in a meeting the other day for three hours on something that I had absolutely no interest in. And I was just sitting there, I'm staring at the screen thinking I'm wasting my life in this meeting. Like I do not want to be here. This is something that I'm only here to get money at that point. And then there was, you know, other parts of the day that I enjoy, but I don't want to be in that position later in life, especially when kids come onto the scene. And that's a real big thing that me and my partner have talked about. I'm running out of time enough as it is, and I've got no kids at all. So I couldn't imagine what it's going to be like when they come onto the scene, things are going to be taken away from me and, you know, I probably have to skip gym or I'll probably have to skip footy some weeks. So um, I really want to make that a priority that I'm doing everything in my power now 
to buy the freedom in the future. As bleak as it sounds, I think you either get it or you don't get it. And for majority of people, they don't get it, unfortunately. It seems like there's a few factors that have led into it. You said your dad had some frugal habits as well, and then there's books. So there's probably like no one single factor anyways, right? No, I, I think you're right. It really is just a learning experience. And I think it's something that every person has to discover on, on their own. And I don't think anyone's born with it. So I, I discovered the financial independence part first. I was like, yes, that is what I want to do. That Every time I save a dollar, it's because of this goal that I want to achieve, this big long-term goal. And then I come across the retire early movement. And that was like financial independence on steroids because it was just so much more insane and you could cut out 40 years of savings to happily retire at 60 to crunch it down to 10 years of savings to retire at 30. And I was like, oh my God, is this actually legit? And then it's all a mathematic equation and it's totally legit, but it comes down to how much you want it. And yeah, just changing your mind and working out what makes you happy. And you touched on kids. So there was a survey in one of the subreddits. I think it was the um, just the financial independence subreddit. So I think it's a US or global based subreddit. But I think it found that 77% of fire supporters said they didn't or weren't planning on having kids. You sort of mentioned that, you know, that is on your roadmap for the future. So maybe you could talk a bit about how kids changes the strategy or the movement. And it's obviously still possible, but it makes it more difficult. Of course. Yeah. Kids aren't cheap, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it just makes the goal that much more important and special, really. Like I want to be there as much as possible and I want to have that time available and that freedom of choice to do whatever I want to do, especially when they come onto the scene. It seemed like if I could build up this portfolio and this nest egg, even if I get to a point where I'm not fully fire at that point, even just to drop it back to three days a week would be insanely good with children. Like I think about three days a week now, and I feel like I could do three days a week until I'm 75. I had a three day week the other month, we just worked out with the public holidays and the my RDO. And I thought, man, four days of leisure and three days of work is a much better balance than five days of work and two days off. Realistically, it means that our portfolio will have to be a little bit bigger. There's no getting around it. But a lot of people spend a lot of money on childcare, for example, like daycare. So if you've got two parents that are at home majority of the time, you know, that's a big expense that you don't have to account for if you're retired. You know, it's not as expensive for people that have the time versus the people that are time poor but have a you know big income. I feel as though it's even more makes it even more um, worthwhile doing if you're going to have kids. With the average Australian, I think their retirement age is between like 60 or 64 years old. With this FIRE strategy, a lot of people are planning to retire in their 30s or 40s and that leaves like another 30 years of your life to do what? The retire early part of the early retirement in FIRE is interpreted a little bit differently in the FIRE context. So when you look at the acronym, the financial independence part is pretty straightforward you generate enough passive income off your portfolio to live off. You reach a point where you don't have to work. But the early retirement part, people, I guess, think that I'm just going to lay by the pool and sip pina coladas (laughs) all day, you know. That doesn't sound bad. (laughs) Well, you'd probably go insane after a week of doing that. It is good to relax a little bit, but meaningful work 
is a staple of life. There's been studies done about what makes people happy and meaningful work is definitely one of those things. It's something that everyone needs to do. And if you can get that from your full-time job, then that's awesome. That's fantastic and all the power to you. But a lot of people don't have meaningful work in their lives. And especially if you retire, I guess you'd struggle to find meaningful work. So retire early or early retirement in the fire realm actually means that you reach a point where you no longer have to work for money and you're conscious of this fact and you can do whatever you want as long as you do it knowingly and of your own accord. It does not mean you stop working. So work can be a number of things. You can do volunteer work. You can work around the house. You can even work for a paycheck or work for money after you've retired in the realm of fire. It's funny, if you look at any of the major bloggers in the States or even in Australia for that matter, all of them that I know, every single one of them earn money after they've retired. And they always cop a bit of criticism from it. Like I know the the big one, Mr. Money Moustache, he earns more money now that he's retired than he did when he was working. (laughs) Isn't that funny? He's got a blog and it's like it it gets so much traffic and he has so much um, passive income from it. And there's actually a funny article because I guess he was getting so many comments and emails like, you're not retired. What you're preaching is false and yada, yada, yada. And there's actually a funny little, uh, well, they call them the early retirement police. (laughs) Uh, Basically, yeah, it's a really good article. You should put it in your show notes, but it's essentially people that have a problem with any of us fire bloggers earning a single dollar after we reach our retirement date. Like as if to say that we've retired, we've got enough money to never work a day in our lives. But as soon as we do anything to earn $1, suddenly we're not retired anymore. Technically, I get it. The word retired means something to people. Like there's a definition, but there is a slightly different definition when it comes to fire. And you talk to anyone that blogs about it or anyone that follows it, it does not mean you stop working. It just means that you only do meaningful work and stuff that you want to do. We've spoken a lot about the formulas and whatnot that can go into this and, you know, using calculators and stuff like that. But for people who are really starting to look at this or consider it, what are some of like the day-to-day things that you've had to do or strategies that you've had to employ to save money and, and maybe what was one of the more difficult ones to pick up? My number one tip to anyone chasing fire or just in general, track your spendings. Track every single dollar that comes into your account and that goes out of it. You don't even have to try to save money. Just do that. And I guarantee you that you will save money. You will look at what you're spending for the month or for the quarter or for the year on something that maybe you're unaware that you spend that much on and you will change your habits. I promise you. That's the number one tip I have for anyone. And the hardest thing you need to make sacrifices with anything that's worth doing in life. I think the biggest part for me was missing out on a few trips with friends earlier in life. Mind you, I've been overseas like six or seven times, like well and truly traveled, not huge trips. I'm talking New Zealand, Bali, Thailand, America, but a lot of my friends did the whole Europe trip and a few of them did it a few times. And I was on the fire journey back then. I did miss out on a few really, really good trips. And, you know, I look back now, do I regret not going with them? 
no, I don't, but that was a sacrifice I had to make. And I look back at those trips and think it would have been really good to go on that, but it's not like I deprived myself of everything. Like I've been on overseas trips and I plan to go on more, but I just really had a tunnel vision. Um, like I was a lot worse back when I was 23, 24, when I first discovered the financial independence retire early movement, I was too hardcore with my savings. Now I've relaxed a lot. That was probably my biggest sacrifice. But other than that, I feel like I haven't sacrificed hardly anything. And I'm being genuine when I say that. People might say, you live like monks and you don't spend anything. It's just not true. I go out to the pub. I buy a pint of beer like everyone else. I go out to dinners occasionally. As I said, I've got excessively expensive shoe collection or in my eyes. But I religiously stick to my budget every month. And I think it's all about balance. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And so, like, we're getting to the end of our time, but I did want to bring up the issue of um, relationships. So, obviously, if you're on board with the fire movement, but your partner isn't, uh, there's obviously going to need to be some kind of conversation that's going to need to take place, or you're going to need to, at the very least, explain your lifestyle. Especially if you're moving in together or something, you do need to have a conversation. How difficult do you think it is to explain to a partner that's maybe not involved in this movement to get involved or? And is that a bit of an obstacle for many people in the movement? It could be hard, especially someone a bit older, like meeting someone a bit older and not growing up with them. Like I, I met my partner at uni. And so when I discovered the movement, I was chatting her head off about it and always telling her, well, watch this and read this and stuff like that. And I honestly think in the back of her mind, she was a bit like, oh, that's, you know, that's nice. And it's unrealistic though, to retire at 30. I'm sure she thought it, but the more we met people that had already done it, the more she started coming around. And I was extremely lucky in the beginning because she was naturally frugal as well, not to the level that I was, but she was a good saver, you know, just generally. And I didn't have any issues like in that regards, but I think there could be definitely trouble. And actually, Peter Thornhill, one of the most famous Australian investors in the fire community, said it best. If you have two savers in a relationship, that's Nirvana. If you have two spenders in a relationship, that's cozy, cozy. You know, you can still have a good life, a good relationship with two spenders. But if you have a saver and a spender, that's a disaster. Do not ask me how you go about converting a spender to a saver. I've never had to deal with that. And that would be tough. I, I'm not sure what's the best way to go about that. Yeah, I suppose that's when uh, the psychology, mm. you know, mind tricks yeah. come into it. <laughs> <laughs> that's beyond my blog. Like that's that's a relationship uh, counselling blog or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Um, Matt, if someone's looking to start on the path towards fire, are there any good books that you would recommend? Yeah, definitely. There's the Boggleheads Guide to Investing is a very practical book about how to invest. It's a bit US centric, but it covers all the basis and it really explains, you know, saving emergency fund, investing, producing a passive income covers all that really, really well. I think for mindset, what did it for me for mindset was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is a quite a popular finance book, but that book doesn't really tell you how to do anything per se. It's just changing that mindset of buying things, which are assets, generate money. And if you buy other things, liabilities, they cost you money. It's such a simple concept. But when I read it, it blew my mind because I was like, I just have to keep buying these things, these assets, 
they keep spitting out money and then I can use that money to keep buying more assets. And it just is a flow on effect and a, this snowball that builds up. And then at some point it's spitting out so much money that it, it, you don't have to work. And the other one, the Peter Thornhill book, uh, Motivated Money. So that's a very specific Australian book and one that's a, a bit of a Bible for Aussie fire investors. Awesome. We'll definitely add links to all those books uh, in our show notes page so that you can read them uh, too if you're interested. And where can people go to learn more? Obviously, there's your podcast. Yes. If you want to follow my journey and I blog not only about myself and our situation every month, but I blog about just a different saving techniques, different um, tax minimization strategies, anything to do with fire, I'm writing about it. So that's at aussiefirebug.com is the website. I also have a podcast. If you go to iTunes, search Aussie Firebug, you can find me. I'm also on SoundCloud. I'm on all the podcast apps, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcast, you'll be able to find me. And I've also got a YouTube channel. You can find that on the website though. So everything's on the website and probably start there if you're looking to get into this. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. I've learned so much. I think I may be sold on the whole idea. I will definitely be getting a spending tracker, but um, yeah, might need to do that on a weekend or something where I can have some time alone. Wine in hand. <laughs> yeah, wine in hand, <laughs> tissues to wipe my tears. Do it the easy way. There's a software called Pocketbook. It's mm-hmm. a getpocketbook.com. And what it does, it can hook into your bank. You can type in your bank's details. It's a read-only account, so they're not going to transfer money out or anything. And essentially, it brings in all transactions and it automatically through like some artificial intelligence reads the transactions and categorizes them automatically for you. There's categories it knows straight away. So if it's United Petrol, it will know that that's a you know fuel for your car and it tries its best to do all of them. And then you can get like a nice big pie chart and see what you spent your money on in the month. It's really, really good. Or you can do it the hardcore way and like literally write it down. But I think screw that. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much for your time. No worries. It was an absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much, Matt. So Sally, what did you think? What did you learn about the whole fire movement? Well, I think I learned that it's more of a straightforward concept than what I originally yeah. envisioned. I don't think I'll be jumping into it wholeheartedly, at least just yet. Definitely like using spending trackers, just really looking at like how you're spending your money and where mm. you can cut back. I think anybody can get good advice from that. He made it seem a lot easier than I think both of us thought it was mm. going to be. But I also think that you know maybe there are parts of certain personalities that gravitate more towards this kind of style. Uh, than others. I'm sort of on the edge. I could jump in. Oh my God. Is this going to be your New Year's resolution? Become a fire chaser? Yes. Maybe. I don't (laughs) know. A fire fighter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. You probably have to start somewhere. So I think I might read uh, the Vicky Robin book, Mm. Your Money, Your Life, because I I like that whole idea of, you know, questioning how long it takes you to work to buy something. I think that's just a good mindset to have, just not to waste money in general. But whether or not I jump into the full thing, I think I'll have to have a Good to think about that first. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, if you're following along, you should probably also think about that. So this is a little bit of a a departure from the regular way of spending and saving. And then there's all those different elements within within this, like that lean fire and fat fire. How restrictive do you want to be with your spending and how much planning do you want to do about where you're allocating your money and the different ETFs that you're using? So you definitely need to think about that. Any other things that you think 
are useful. I think it's important to remember that, yeah, you don't have to really like stick to one strategy to do this or even have to really go at it like full throttle like you can just adapt certain parts of it to your life and I like that Matt was saying that he looks back you know three years ago and he's like oh man like looking at how he was trying to save a dollar here and there and just how much he's even been able to like mellow out from it now. So yeah, I think that's just important to remember. Even if you don't think this lifestyle's for you, like there's definitely parts of it that anybody could take and and make better money decisions, I think. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like it's sort of saying wherever you are and however close you are to the fire movement or not, you could probably always do with relooking at your mm. finances and seeing how much you're spending. I think the budgeting app is a really good one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it kind of just does it all for you. So why not? That's right. But yeah, we're going to have all the show notes to this episode on our site and you'll be able to see the link to that uh, in this episode. And remember to subscribe and leave us a review if you enjoyed the show. It really helps us be basically seen by more lovely listeners. Exactly. Glowing reviews or even negative ones. Yeah. The constructive criticism. <laughs> <laughs> you can review my mustache, even though you can't see it. We'll post a photo in the show notes. Remember to follow Finder on Twitter and Facebook. We'll be announcing updates about the show and new episodes and new guests there. So if you want to follow us in real time, head on over. And who wouldn't? Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pocket Money from Finder. Head over to finder.com.au slash podcast for the show notes for this episode. The Finder podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before making any decisions based on anything in our show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.